Hey everyone, welcome back to the Maroon Weekly. It is the start of sixth week in the spring quarter, and I'm joined by a bunch of voices today. Um, as always, I'm Ron. I'm Isaac. I'm Jake. I'm Greg. I'm Mickey. I'm Rachel. And since we have so many voices, we have a lot of stories, so let's jump straight into it. Uh, let's start with a story about the new executive slate. Yeah, okay, so Good Vibes Lesions was elected undergraduate student government's next executive slate. The slate, which ran uncontested, received 853 total votes from students with 579 abstentions. Write-in slates received a combined 72 votes. In total, 731 first years, 440 second years, 229 third years, 101 fourth years, and three non-degree seeking students cast ballots. This year's election is the first time that the executive slate will be composed of two rather than three people. First year Ariana Ukanu, who ran unopposed, was elected vice president of advocacy with 887 votes. Second year Julia Brestovitsky was elected vice president of student affairs with 529 votes. And second year Evelyn Lee was elected vice president of campus life with 475 votes. College Council representatives voted 13 to 1 on Monday that Tyler Okeke would become the next trustee in faculty governance liaison. He previously tied with third-year Paul Stasek for 85 votes. The vice president of student organizations will be selected by the chairs of committees focused on RSOs, including the Program Coordinating Council, the Coalition of Academic Teams, and the Student Government Finance Committee, among others. In addition, Jeffrey Sun was elected College Council Representative for the Class of 2023. The four other writing candidates who won include Hannah Brody, Divya Sharma, Rose Pittman, and Tyler Okeke, whose positions will be confirmed upon their individual acceptances. For the Class of 2024, Connor Lee, Ash Aryan, Daria Foruhar, Nina Hafner, and Aman Majumdar will be College Council representatives. As for the class of 2025, Aya Hamza, Lisa Raj Singh, Jordan Flaherty, Devin Johnson, and Chelsea Wu were elected as college council representatives. Finally, outgoing USG President Alan Abbott co commended the candidates and expressed enthusiasm for the future of the organization. He is confident that inroads will be made in addressing critical policy issues for students, such as the nine-week quarter. The full story is up on the Marines website. So, transitioning from a discussion of the new executive slate, uh, we've got a couple stories about uh, GSU unionization and new labor contracts. Yeah, great. So, in an original article published on the Maroon, originally reported by Emma Johnson, the University of Chicago and representatives from the Teamsters Local 743 a labor union that represents about 3,000 workers across the university and UCMC, reached a tentative agreement on their new labor contract last Tuesday, April the 19th. The tentative contract, which has been under negotiation since February, will face a ratification vote by the union's membership next week. According to Brandon Crowley, chief negotiator and staff attorney for Teamsters Local 743, this is one of the best deals UChicago has seen in years. Under the new agreement, the lowest pay grade of union workers, which include desk clerks at campus dormitories, will increase by 8%, and the second lowest pay grade, which includes lead desk clerks and the UChicago Press workers, will see a 10% increase. 
For the first time, the union secured six weeks of paid parental leave for employees. Additional benefits also include a winter recess and bereavement leave. The Teamsters Local 743 Union represents 10,000 employees throughout Chicago and Illinois, ranging from healthcare workers to warehouse employees. The contract in question covers residential hall clerks, mail workers, medical coders, employees at the library, and UChicago Press, as well as clerical workers within academic departments and at the lab school. The month of negotiations leading up to Tuesday's agreement brought about a rise in labor activism across the university. In the first week of April, workers across campus wore bright yellow pins that read, We Want a Fair Contract. On Wednesday, April 6th, workers clapped in wearing all navy. The next day, they came in work wearing all black. The pins and coordinated colors were intended to be a subtle but clear show of solidarity, showing the university uh, employees from the Regenstein Library to front desk clerks in the dorms. The current round of negotiations comes after a delay and an exacerbation in poor working conditions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. According to an anonymous employee, many employees have retired or resigned due to a lack of support for those required to work on-site or a lack of flexibility for those able to continue to work from home. Although many university employees wore their yellow stripes and dressed in navy and black as a show of union solidarity, workers also expressed fears of retaliation for speaking out. Multiple workers only agreed to speak with the Maroon under guarantee of anonymity citing concerns of retaliation from the university if they were to speak out publicly due to the university's anti-labor history. However, Crilly expresses optimism about the current negotiations and the future of the labor movement of UChicago employees. Great. Well, not great. Uh, that's bad. But uh, <laughs> on, a, on a related note, I'll report on an article originally written by Neve Rodriguez about uh, some changes to university funding for graduate uh, teaching. So this spring, the university announced these funding changes for competitive prize lectureships in which graduate students can teach a class for pay in addition to their graduate stipend. In previous years, the university offered $5,000 to teach a quarter-long class under this prize lectureship. However, in March, pay for prize lectureships was cut to only $2,000 per quarter. Graduate student and co-president of Graduate Students United, which is GSU, Andrew Saber, was applying for one of these prize lectureships when the university announced the change only 36 hours before the application was due. This change has come to light at the same time as other modifications to graduate student funding. In October 2019, so a few years ago, the university announced a new framework for doctoral degree programs in the Division of Social Sciences, the Division of Humanities, the Div School, and the School of Social Service Administration. Essentially, a part of that policy uh, designated teaching by PhD students as quote-unquote mentor teaching experiences rather than paid labor. Fast forward to the end of that school year in June of 2019, UChicago graduate students went on strike to protest the university's refusal to negotiate this contract. And I personally remember walking across the quad during the middle of these protests because this was very impactful for me. I was taking general chemistry at the time, third quarter spring, and PhD candidates in chemistry were all of the TAs for our course. And they went on strike right as our finals week happened, which means no one would be around to actually grade the exams for undergrad chemistry students, which was pretty crazy. Eventually, there became some resolution within the chemistry department, but, uh, you know, larger scale, the university wrote a letter that addressed all university students, 
essentially stating that unionization would fundamentally alter the decentralized faculty-led approach to graduate education that has been a hallmark of the University of Chicago. That letter also claimed that doctoral education is most impactful when faculty work directly with students without a third party mediating and defining those relationships, which seems very odd to me. But the new funding model was announced after thousands of graduate students went on strike nationwide, many bargaining for higher wages, and graduate students at Columbia University recently ended a 10-week strike after they received a tentative agreement that guaranteed an increase in pay for PhD students. Stipends for graduate students in the United States range from approximately $9,000 to $60,000 yearly. The guaranteed minimum stipend for PhD students is $31,000 annually. So as it stands right now, GSU believes that this new framework is a direct response to the unionization effort of its graduate students. Do you remember the, the protests? I do remember the protests. I was actually involved. Um, and, you know, so part of me thinks that this isn't really that surprising because the university has always sort of treated its graduate students not that well. And also, yeah. like, it's kind of unfortunate that GSU doesn't really have that much, like, that much leverage against the yeah. university. They don't have so. a lot of... A lot of a lot of cards to hold. Yeah. A lot of chips. It's unfortunate, but it's just a large power imbalance. Yeah. So I anticipate we'll continue seeing stories like this. Um, it's not been reported yet, but I know today as we record on Sunday, there will be a protest at Nichols Park at about two o'clock. Obviously, you'll be listening to this the week afterwards, but be sure to fill yourself in on all of the additional coverage of these uh, response efforts by GSU, because personally, I am uh, pro-GSU, and I would love to see them get paid adequately for their labor. But anyways, um, Jake, you want to handle the next story? Yeah, sure. Um, the first ever Homer's Forum pitch competition will take place this month. Gustavo Delgado covered this for the Maroon, writing about the new pitch competition for undergraduates to propose solutions for issues affecting non-academic departments within the university. Um, this program, which is in its first year now, um, was founded by fourth-year Joshua McKee and 2020 UChicago graduate Pranav Nanga, and it has been supported by the Center for College Student Success. Nanga, an Odyssey scholar, wanted a data-driven solution to improve the supports offered by the Odyssey program, and after he graduated, McKee worked with him to find a, um, in McKee's words, renewable format for pushing forward Odyssey initiatives. But this pitch competition is not restricted to the Odyssey Scholar program. Teams of four students, which must be led by an Odyssey Scholar, can present on topics like dining, housing, and the university registrar. They will be judged and scored by a team of professors and alumni, and the winning team will not only win $1,000, but also have their solution implemented with the help of one or more people from the judging panel. Applications for this pitch competition, which will take place on May 10th at the Cloister Club in Idanois Hall, closed on April 26th. But McKee does plan on continuing to support this program after graduating, ensuring its future as a source of innovation for the university. Awesome. Um, Nikki, you want to take the next, next one? Sure. So, according to the article initially published by Solana Aredokun, after in-person classes resumed, some students have found a transition back to traditional in-person testing anxiety-inducing and problematic. And by testing, I'm not talking about COVID tests, but academic tests. So the Maroon interviewed a few students regarding how their test anxiety has evolved over the different teaching formats. Sanjana Narayan, a second-year student here at the college, described her anxiety over struggling to recall the material she knows 
because of the stressful environment tasks create. According to her written statement offered to Chicago Maroon, online learning provided an environment where we were able to actually apply our learning in a familiar environment like home. It's been difficult transitioning back to in-person exams because they create a stressful vacuum-like environment where applying my knowledge is in first nature. Haley Simonek, another second year, remarked that she is so nervous about the exam happening and can't really see the questions in front of her even if she tries to fully process them. Nita Kumar, the director of counseling at UChicago Student Wellness for over two years, remarks anxiety during tests as a normal experience. However, it does impair a person's ability to perform during a test, she says. She marks this place for a professional to be helpful in understanding the roots of a person's anxiety and developing treatments. Haley, however, expressed some frustration over the counseling services offered by Student Wellness, commenting that Student Wellness weren't super helpful because the, their whole thing is that they'll see you once and they'll pretty immediately refer you out. She also points out another important factor besides the personal anxiety issue, UChicago's academic culture. This is something beyond self-management and professional one-on-one -on -one counseling, remarked by Kumar. Haley said that it just feels like the exam is the only thing that matters at the time, and it is this incredible stressor in the two-week review period. She thinks that the university almost sees accommodations as a weakness, and living up to the academic rigor is strongly associated with how little sleep you can get over the specific two-week period and cramming as much as possible. In light of midterm season, I think it is important for UChicago Student Wellness to further disseminate more information over what kinds of help they offer through social media. They can perhaps do another required EverFi module for online orientation since not everybody participates in the in-person orientation. It is also important for the professors to discuss with the students collectively to extend deadlines if needed and to discuss testing format adjustments, perhaps on whether adjusting the test to be open no helps. Very cool. And last but not least, we've got our weekly COVID update. According to a UChicago Forward email sent out to members of the university community on April 29th, 347 new cases were reported on campus with 395 close contacts. As of April 29th, there are 114 students isolating on campus and 217 students isolating off campus. The Chicago Forward email also contained information on voluntary testing that is available at Walker Museum, encouraging individuals not to seek tests on consecutive days since results can take up to two days to be returned on PCR tests. The email further insisted that individuals with COVID-19 do not get tested at Walker and instead make an appointment on my chart to first complete a screening. Following the screening, it is possible for individuals to obtain a PCR test at University of Chicago Medicine's curbside clinic. The email finally contained information about how there is little change in reported COVID-19 hospitalizations in Chicago, despite a rising number of cases in the city, which is positive news. That is good news. Uh, that's all we have for you guys this week. Uh, as always, I'm Ron. I'm Isaac. I'm Jake. I'm Greg. I'm Mickey. And I'm Rachel. Music for the weekly is provided by Andrew Dietz, Aaron Sennon, and Kenny Talbot-Lavega. We will see you next week.